0: Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 247 3051 Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
1: See, Isaac knew all that. He knew what kind of a person Esau was when he said, Behold, I'm at the point to die. What profit is is this birthright to do to me? He knew that. And he knew from Esau's what profit statement that Esau saw more profit in satisfying his desire for a bowl of that soup than he did for God. And and, and he knew that from Esau's what profit statement that Esau saw clearly... When he came to the crossroads, you know, he was really at a crossroads. He said the choice there, Esau, was bowl of lentil soup or the birthright. Ah, no question about it. Bowl of lentil soup. Bowl of lentil soup or the blessing of Abraham. Ah, a bowl of lentil soup. Bowl of lentil soup or God. A bowl of lentil soup. That's Esau. And he knew that. And, and I like lentil soup. <laughs> and they have good lentil soup at DZ Aiken's, by the way. So, but you know, when Esau looked at the soup, you know, it was like, it's not worth it. He said, it's not worth it. God, it's not worth it. The it. So you all go to DZ Aiken's food, and, and you tell the waitress, I want the not worth it soup. <laughs> then explain. So Isaac knew that for just one bowl of, of lentil soup, Esau gave up, gave it all up. Birthright, God, blessing of Abraham. He knew that. And Isaac knew that when Esau came to this crossroads, he said, I so despise my birthright and God and the blessing of Abraham. This soup today is worth more than that. Like it says in Hebrews 12, 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. So Isaac knew that, that Esau was, was, wasn't God's choice. Because Isaac saw Esau's uh, choice when in essence he said, my birthright is worthless. God is worthless. The blessing of Abraham is worthless. And he knew all this. Isaac, what's the matter with you? You knew this. Isaac saw that Esau had also chosen those two Hittite wives. And Isaac had strong feelings Against that choice of his. As we read in, in Genesis 26, 34 through 35, Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Bashameth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, which were a grief of mind or a bitterness of spirit unto Isaac and to Rebekah. I mean, after all, the whole legacy or tradition or heritage of this family. Was all wrapped up in Abraham saying, "Absolutely, under no circumstances, a Canaanite wife." And so Isaac will travel the world over to go find her, but she cannot be a Canaanite. And so Isaac watched there after all of that. This is like a this is a foundation of this family, and Isaac watched Esau as he nonchalantly goes off and says, oh, she's a pretty, she's, she's pretty, she's a Hittite, I'll take one Hittite wife, please. And, and then he goes off, and, and if that wasn't offensive enough, then Esau comes across another one and says, oh, she's pretty also, make that two Hittite wives. So, and the polygamy stands right in the face of his father, the monogamist. And so Isaac felt this grief of mind for Esau's decisions to go marry these two Hittite wives. And that grief of mine was God's indication to Isaac. Isaac, Esau is not your choice for your heir. He's not the one to receive the blessing of Abraham. So this gives, when you think about all this, now you read in verse 1, his eyes were dim, he could not see, he called Esau. And so his eyes were dim, he could not see, he called Esau. Isaac's eyes were dim. And we've seen how Isaac refused to see God speaking through his overbearing, dominating wife, Rebekah. Isaac's eyes were dim, and he could not see. He called Esau, even apart from his overbearing, dominating Rebekah in verse 1, his eyes were dim because he couldn't see. He would not see Esau despising his birthright for a bowl of soup. He would not, apart from his wife, he would not see Esau's choice to go marry the two Hittite wives. Why did he do it? I mean, why did he do it with all of this indication? Why did he do it? Well, the answer is in Genesis 25, 28, where it says Isaac loved Esau because, you won't believe it, he did eat of his venison. <laughs> I mean, you know, But Rebekah loved Jacob. Verse 1, Isaac's eyes were dim, so they could not see. He called Esau because Isaac loved Esau. Yeah? Isaac was too emotional. He was caught up with Esau. Isaac's eyes were dim. He could not see. That's why he called Esau. Isaac was too passionate for Esau, so that Isaac's eyes were dim. He couldn't see. That's why he called Esau. He loved Esau's venison too much. So his eyes were dim. He couldn't see. That's why he called Esau. And when we read these three words. He called Esau. And we see that Isaac called Esau because he loved Esau, because he, he, he liked what he made, his venison. Must have been some venison. I don't ever want to taste any of that venison. I don't believe it does strange things to you. But that's a warning to us to not let the subjectivity of emotion, love, and passion stand in the way of hearing and obeying the objective word of God. And we see how Esau, he just threw the word of God out the window for a bowl of soup. And well, we also see Isaac throwing the word of God out the window for some venison. It's not so far off. And when we look at Isaac calling Esau the person that God hated, all because Isaac loved Esau and he loved to eat his venison, that's a warning. Heed the objective word of God and don't listen to our heart. Don't follow our heart. When our heart says, But I love him or her, or I love this or that. Isaac loved Esau, he loved to eat his venison. And that love caused Isaac to not obey the objective word of God, even though it came from Rebekah. And why do we see Isaac so determined to give it all to Esau? Esau, who has no heart for God. Why? Because of natural affection. Natural affection. See, in verse 1, Isaac has pushed God right out of the picture because of his natural affection for Esau. And why is it that this Christian man is so determined to marry that woman that has no heart for God? Why? Because of natural affection. Because of natural affection for that woman who has no heart for God, that Christian man has pushed God right out of the picture, just like Isaac. Why did Isaac have this natural affection for Esau? Why did he have that? Because Esau could hunt, and Isaac couldn't hunt. That's not a job for Jewish men, hunting. <laughs> anyway, because Esau could prepare this venison, and, and Jacob, he can only make lentil soup. <laughs> I guess Isaac didn't like lentil soup. You know, those were outward things. You know, Isaac was led by the outward appearance. Samuel went to go find a king, a man's, God's man for Israel. You're going to go find the man that God has chosen to be king over Israel. And the description of the process is very interesting because it describes what, what, what Samuel is saying inside of himself. We wouldn't know except the Bible tells us. So Samuel knew that God had chosen one of the sons of Jesse. He knew that. And so what happened is described for us in 1 Samuel 16, 6-7, where it says, And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. See, here comes this son of Jesse. His name is Eliab here. And boy, he must have been impressive. Tall, strong. Yeah, he looks like a ruler of a people. So based on all that, Samuel thinks to himself, Surely... The Lord's anointed is before me. Samuel says to himself, just look at him. Oh, the way he looks, he must be God's choice. And in the same way, Isaac looks at Esau and says, boy, the way Esau looks, he's so big, he's a strong man of the field, he's a hunter, nobody gets in his way. He's got to be God's choice. As a matter of fact, it says in 1 Samuel 16, 6, surely, Samuel says, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. That that word surely, you can't read that without thinking of Isaiah 53. Because that that word surely is the same root word as the word surely there and and it's used as the Lord's ultimate anointed. When it says in Isaiah 53, 4, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We did esteem him. Stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. See, in that passage it was, it was also looking at the people were also looking at the outward, and they were misled. Because the, it, when it says he bore our grief, surely he bore our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him. No. Ah, oh, poor guy. He was just stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Don't know what he did wrong. We only saw him outwardly as someone who was struck down by God. But we didn't see how inwardly he was actually bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows. We didn't see that. We esteemed that not. And in the same way, Samuel, who was only looking on the outward appearance of Eliab, and God had to redirect Samuel, and he said to him, Samuel, he says, the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance. Don't look on his face or on the height of his stature. Don't make him stand against that tree and put a mark on there and compare him to others. Because as the Lord sees not as man seeeth. The Lord looks, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the, on the heart. So Isaac, looking at Esau, was like Samuel looking at Eliab. Isaac, looking at Esau, was only looking on the face of Esau. And you know, he was a man of the field, his ability. Probably looked like Clint. <laughs> no, Clint, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> and because Samuel let himself be distracted by the outward appearance of Eliab, Samuel didn't see the Lord had refused Eliab and he didn't see the Lord's anointed. And because Isaac let himself be distracted by the outward appearance of Esau, he didn't see that God had refused Esau and that Jacob was God's choice. And then God told the reason Samuel, you made this, you you know why you missed this? Because you're looking like man sees on the outward, but God looks on the heart. Isaac, you know why you missed this? because the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, the Lord looks on the heart. So what we see here in verse 1, speaking about Isaac's spiritual eyes, that the reason his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, was because first he let his overbearing, dominating wife, Rebecca get so in his face that he said, I don't care if God is speaking, it ain't coming through that woman. <laughs> to me, he would not hear God in his ear because he let his wife get in his face. And Isaac let his heart of love and affection toward Esau cloud his spiritual eyes. He's guided by affection. He's being led by his heart for his son rather than being led by love for God. In all this affection that misguided Isaac, we see the first thing Isaac said to Esau when he calls him, he calls Esau his eldest son, and he says to him, My son. Endearing term, and Esau responds to him in verse one: "Behold, here am I." And then, now we see Isaac opening up his heart to Esau. He's really opening himself up to him in verse two, and he says, "Behold, now I am old, and I know not the day of my death." See, from what Isaac said to Esau in verse two, we can see, boy, there's something really brewing inside of Isaac. He's worried about his death. He's worried about the day of his death. He's concerned about the day of his death. He's, he's concerned about dying. This has really flooded his mind. Now let's ask the question, why all of a sudden has Isaac become so concerned about dying? I mean, you know, I should go through all these years, I mean, why are you worried about this? You know? but, he's, he, but now he's really worried about dying. Well, well, let's try to figure it out. How old is Isaac about now? Well, you, know, you can just kind of figure it out a little bit because you get these indications. You know, in Genesis forty-one forty-six. Genesis 41-46 tells us that Jacob's son Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh and became the prime minister. And then a few chapters later, in Genesis 45-6, it tells us that after seven years of plenty, after two years of famine, or nine years, that Jacob comes into Egypt. So in Genesis 49-9, it tells us there that when Jacob arrives in Egypt, he tells Pharaoh, I'm 130 years old when he comes into egypt so at the time when jacob stands before pharaoh he's 130 years old and joseph's 39 years old that means that jacob is is about 91 years old when joseph's born And, and if joseph's born more or less about 14 years something like that after jacob left isaac and got to laban that means that jacob was 77 years old when all this happened and you thought he was 17 (laughs) <laughs> See, this little mama's boy is 77 years old, right Ken? About your age, right? <laughs> so anyway, Genesis 25:26 tells us as we've already seen, Isaac was 60 years old when he had Jacob. So, you know, you do the math. 60 plus 77 and you come to understand that Isaac's 137 years old at this time and Jacob's 77 years old. So that's kind of like, you know, <laughs> now, why at one hundred and thirty-seven years old did Isaac feel like he's about to die? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> that sounds like a ridiculous question, but people lived a long time then. Well, look at Genesis twenty-five seventeen and tell me why you think he might have been concerned about dying when he was one hundred thirty-seven years old. Genesis twenty-five seventeen. What happened? Ishmael died at one hundred thirty-seven years old. He's reached the age of his half brother. And there ain't nothing <laughs> that's going to make you feel like you're going to die is when your sibling dies at that age. You know, that, and so he, Isaac's half-brother was 14 years older than him, Ishmael. And so Ishmael dies at 137 years old. Happy birthday, Ishmael, 137 years, and now you're dead. And so now, happy birthday, Isaac, you're 137 years old. 137? Oh, no. <laughs> so he reached the same age as Ishmael when he died. And so he's thinking, I'm going to die. And so did he die? He didn't die. No. Does anybody know how old he was when he died? He was 180. So this little puppy has got a few more years left. <laughs> he's got 43 more years on that odometer. but He doesn't know it. So he lives till he's 180. He's got 43 more years, but he feels he's going to die. And, you know, it was a good thing. It's not a bad thing to be concerned about dying. And it's a good thing to be thinking about what you need to do before you die. And what Isaac was telling Esau was, his, as a matter of fact, very important. You look at verse 4, the end of verse 4, are three very important words. They're the theme of this, as far as Isaac is concerned. You know what those three words are? Last three words of verse 4? Before I die. This is the before I die chapter or concern that Isaac has. He has the before I die concern. And he's telling Esau, "I'm going to give you my before I die to do list, and at the top of the list is I got to appoint you the heir, and you got to, I got to give you the blessing of Abraham." See, so that was on Isaac's before I die to do list. You know, and you think about this: what do people think? What's on people's to do list? The before I die to do list. You know, in most bookstores today. There's a stainless steel bookmark. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. And it printed on it, and there's a whole bunch of books listed, and it says, 50 books to read before I die. <laughs> it says that, all right? I mean, everybody has a before I die to-do list. And for some, it's 50 books to read before I die. I guarantee you, I will die without reading 50 books. <laughs> <laughs> I've probably read three books so far. So, So for some, it's 50 books to read. I mean, I remember one day I was traveling to Europe, to London, on a business trip from JFK in New York, and I'd spent the night at JFK and I was on that, and, and, I, and I was on that American Airlines 9 a.m. flight from JFK to London. and as was my, pra- my practice, I always prayed in the morning at the hotel that God would put a Jewish person in the seat next to me, and God has always been so faithful to do that. Now that's not really a miracle when you're leaving from New York. <laughs> okay, so. But it is when you're traveling from Nairobi to Addis Ababa. <laughs> and God has done that there, too. So on this morning, I settled down in my seat. And sure enough, next to me is this Jewish lady in her 50s. And, and so I began to speak with her. And, and I asked her, you know, where are you going and what are you doing? And, and she said, she, she tells me, she said, I, I've just been diagnosed with terminal stage four ovarian cancer. And she said, I only have a few months at most to live. So with this short time to live, and she and she did the before I die. She said, with a short time to live, she said, I've always wanted to see Paris. So I'm taking this last trip, and she said, I've never seen Paris. And then she said, I, I want, I need to see Paris before I die. Okay? And so when she told me that, it, of course, it's so shocking to hear that. You know, you kind of take a little look, like you know, she's going to die. But um, she gives the before I die. I just sat there. There, I was just kind of like astounded you know, with the words, before I die. And, and I thought, you know, that's the most important thing that she feels she has to do before she dies. She's got to go to Paris. And everybody has a before I die to-do list. And for her, it was to see Paris. Everybody has a before, before I die to-do list. For some, before I die, I've always wanted to sail in the Caribbean islands. Before I die. Before I die, I've always wanted to swim in the great barrier reef of Australia. before I die, I always wanted to go on a safari in Africa. That's what the Make a Wish Foundation is all about. You know, it's so like the children with cancer, well, what is it you want to do before you die? I've never forgotten her words. I need to see Paris before I die. And, and so I was giving some thought, and, and I told her, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm very impressed with what you just said before I die. And, how, and I told her, I said, I don't think your first priority is to see Paris before you die. And, and I told her, I said, I think your first priority is to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your God and Savior before you die. Amen. That's what I told her. And she didn't talk to me anymore. <laughs> but as I was writing my notes for our study now, as I was writing them this morning, a text message comes to me on the phone from Ken Small. And Ken writes these things to me. Praying for you today, this is the day the Lord hath made. We have today to show forth his glory. Maybe tomorrow we'll be gone. (laughs) And I said, oh, thank you, Lord. (laughs) It got Ken out of my face, and I heard the Lord speak. (laughs) Everybody has a before I die to do list. And for Ken, it was to show forth the glory of God. And it was this before I die that Ken expressed. We, all, we have today to show forth his glory. Maybe tomorrow will be gone. That was on his before I die to-do list. The Lord Jesus Christ had a before I die to-do list. And he said, before I die, he said in John 9, 4 through 5, he said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. So in John 9, 4, when the Lord Jesus, with a view toward the day of his death, I know not the day of my death was what the statement that Isaac said, with the view toward the day of his death, the Lord Jesus talked about what he, he must do. That was on his must-to-do list before I die. And, and he's looking at his death, he says, You know what's on my to-do list? It's not to read 50 books. It's not to go to Paris to see Paris. It's not to go sail on the Caribbean islands. It's not to go swim in the Great Barrier Reef. It's not to go on a safari in Africa. But my to-do list is I must do the works. I must work the works of him that sent me. That's our to-do list also. He's our guide. So our before I die to-do list is to do the works, work the works of him that sent me, which means that first... Find the works that God has given us to do. Second, work the works that God has given us to do. That's John 9. And third, finish the works that God has given us to do. See, it's in John chapter 9 here, where he's about to heal a blind man, when he's in the middle of his ministry, and he said, I must work the works. I must be about my father's business. I've got to be doing. And he's found the work one of the works there in John nine, it's a man here who's going to be healed outwardly and inwardly. He's going to heal his sight, and then he's going to say, "Now you need to believe on the one who God has sent." He says, "Who is he, Lord, that I may believe on him?" He heals him inwardly. So he's in this whole process here in John nine. He says, "I am working the works. I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day." Later, at the end of his ministry, when he's about to die, in John seventeen four seventeen one through four, it says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son may also may glorify thee, and thou hast given him power over all flesh, he should give eternal life. He shall give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him, and this is life eternal, they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou have sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. See, this is his famous Father, the hour has come statement. And and what a pleasure for him. What a sense of accomplishment for him to be able to say, Father, the hour has come. I finished the work which thou gavest me to do. See, his work was give eternal life. And he did that. What a goal for us to be able to come, as he did, at the end of our lives and be able to look at our death with such a fulfilling sense of accomplishment and say those same words.
0: Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival, Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, museum curator. I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event, including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts. Meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go online to learn more at creationsd.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104.